0: Welcome to the Well WellSGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. Well, uh, from Rwanda, I give you greetings. Uh, Maramute. And that is basically good morning in Rwandan. And if you want to speak Rwandan back to me, you just say, Maramutse Nimeza. Just try, just, how about Nimeza? Nimeza, okay, there we go. (laughs) That makes it easier. Um, Yeah, thank you so much uh, for your prayers. And uh, thankfully, my luggage made it back with me from Rwanda. And as you can see, I have fresh clothes. So it's good to be here uh, with that. Uh, But yeah, your prayers were immensely important for me, uh, my time there. Uh, Just the Lord was uh, very, very good to us. Uh, His grace was very evident. And, uh, you know, as we just worshiped there, uh, one thing that I will tell is, um, you know, Rwanda, uh, as you guys know, they went through quite a bit of tragedy, right? 1994, the genocide. So uh, over half a million people lost their lives. But God is doing a great work of just rebuilding this country. And if you go uh, to a worship service you will see that the believers, they just love the Lord. And the way that they just praise and worship God, I mean, they are, uh, it's just amazing that when they glorify God, when they worship Him, it's it's one of the most beautiful things you'll ever see. Uh, Just, they are dancing, they are singing, But their whole heart is just really in there. Uh, My teammate and I, we got to just go in there. And we were there for about 10 days to just really do some work of church uh, planting training. So as you can see right there, it's probably not difficult to spot me in the picture. (laughs) I stand out a little bit. Uh, But those were the brothers and sisters in Rwanda that we got to work with. Uh, these are evangelists or pastors uh, they're church planters but uh, they completely absorb the training and the word of god and one thing that i noticed is that when we would teach them uh, what we felt like were you know pretty uh yeah a lot of times when we do training sometimes you just sort of gloss over the scripture a little bit well you know it's found in this book and that book or whatever but uh, what we would do is we would read the verses we would do a little teaching and they would just, you know, they would, they would just say, amen, you know, hallelujah. And, and they would do this. This is their way of praising God. So that was kind of their symbol. And a lot of times as we're just reading verses and talking about who Jesus is and uh, his will to make disciples, you know, they're just doing this, you know, just gives you a, like an indication, a picture of their hearts, Uh, how much they love the Lord. So uh, that picture right there is a church that we have visited. This was kind of in the countryside. And uh, just to see, uh, again, a church where they are planting churches and trying to reach uh, people out in the rural areas. So that was really beautiful to see. There are a lot of challenges to the work in Rwanda. And uh, there's government control challenges. There's also a lot of Uh, other challenges as well in terms of maybe some false teaching false gospels those kind of things but uh, I will say this God is faithful he's powerful Uh, Jesus is building his kingdom and the gates of Hades itself cannot stop it amen and that's what we're seeing so uh, with that I when I visit this church I said that we're praying for them and I know you guys were praying for them and uh And they said that they're gonna be praying for us as well. And so literally these Rwandan believers right now, uh, they are keeping all of us in mind here in Los Angeles. And uh, they are returning a mutual blessing to say, we want to see the church uh, flourish everywhere, not just in our country, but in America and all over the world. So with that, uh, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and let's pray. Let's pray for the Rwandan church. But let's pray for the gospel that we just absolutely believe and do in, do uh, Let's pray for the, its flourishing. And so, God, we come to you right now, and we worship you. We honor you, God, as the one true God who reigns. And this is our hope, that our God reigns. And we declare that Jesus is the true King. Uh, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, And one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And we thank you, Lord, that you have purchased us, uh, you have gone to the cross, and through the cross, that, Lord, we are reconciled, we have new life, we thank you for the gift of uh, this eternal life and this hope that we've been given And Lord, I pray that you would be with the church in Rwanda. Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in this part of the world, in Africa. Uh, Despite the atrocities and the evil and and, uh, the satanic darkness sometimes that has pervaded this country, Lord, we know that you are building your church And even satanic forces cannot overcome it. Lord, you are powerful. You are mighty. And you are the one establishing your kingdom there. So, Lord, we ask that the gospel would go forth, that lives would be saved and transformed, that you would bring your kingdom of light to this country, uh, be with our brothers and sisters there, Uh, give them your hope, your endurance, your uh, encouragement. And we thank you that uh, we together all over the world can worship the one true God. And regardless of geographical distance, Lord, uh, we are united in Christ and we are united by your spirit. So thank you so much, Lord, Uh, We look forward today that we will join all together, all the multitudes of nations together around the land that was slain uh, for our sins and that for all of eternity, we will enjoy worshiping you together and that we will be uh, together in this family that you've created. So, Lord, thank you for this morning, this day. We ask that you would open our hearts to your word And I ask, Lord, that this gospel that you have given us, uh, may you make it clear, may it be proclaimed, and Lord, may you receive the glory today. And we ask this in Christ's name, amen. Today, the focus of my message in Mark chapter 1 is really focused on what does it mean to live in God's kingdom and this is going to be a launch point for the series in the fall. So in the fall, we're going to go into a series called uh, Meals with a King. And with each message, what I want to do is give t- to you a picture of what it means to be following Jesus and living in, in his kingdom. So each message would kind of point to that. Today is sort of the, the foundational message, the big picture of it all. And so, we're going to do like a, a real kind of grand sweep of scripture today. I mentioned to you that in Rwanda, there are several challenges to the gospel. One of the challenges in Africa, in Rwanda, as I was discovering in my time there, is something called the prosperity gospel. Uh, how many guys have heard the prosperity gospel? You guys know that term. Okay, so it's, it's rampant. Uh, it's taking Africa by the storm. And it is, in fact, competing with the true gospel. The prosperity gospel basically is a theology or a belief in God that basically says that God's ultimate aim is to reward believers with health and wealth and success. And this is always God's will for believers. And... Uh, the gospel, as we use the term gospel, is basically simply a means to this greater end. So the gospel is not about the removal of sin, reconciliation with God, uh, and then worshiping and enjoying God and His glory forever. That is not the ultimate aim, but it's really to remove sickness poverty, and to enjoy health and wealth and success. Now, it is true that the biblical gospel uh, will one day usher in a time in which there is no more sickness, sorrow, and death. So we praise God for that. Uh, We long for a day in which there will be no more grieving, mourning, or pain. But, This uh, dangerous gospel really exploits people and gives them a false hope and makes something other than Jesus as their true king. So that's a prosperity gospel. Now, we can sometimes say, well, I believe in the true gospel, right? But what does that mean? I remember earlier, in my days as a Christian. And uh, this was a gospel that was essentially presented to me. And this is a gospel that I said, okay, I believe in this. Um, I want to believe in Jesus. The gospel that was oftentimes, so presented to me, I remember as a younger Christian, and sometimes I hear today as well, is a gospel of going to heaven when I die. That's the gospel. In other words, the gospel is nothing more than simply believing in Jesus so you could get a ticket to heaven. But that's not the gospel either. And oftentimes, when this gospel is pre- presented, it's presented such as well, you're a sinner, you're going to hell, your sin has created this insurmountable chasm between you and God. The cross bridges this gap between you and God so that you can come to God. Christ died for your sins so that you can go to heaven when you die. Now, when you hear that, is that true? Well, that is true, but I would say that this is not complete. And it makes heaven as the ultimate goal, rather than living and loving Jesus as the ultimate goal, And it leaves out the complete gospel story. In other words, all it deals with is to say you're a sinner and you need to be right with God and and you would like to go to heaven, right? So that's, that's good. But it's leaving out the story of creation as well as new creation. And what it also leaves out is uh, this truncated gospel sometimes then shortchanges us as followers in what it means to live in this world right now. What does it mean to live as, as a faithful follower of Jesus in the day-to-day of our lives, Monday through Sunday, in this world? So uh, we really have so much of a greater gospel than what is oftentimes presented to us or what was presented to me in my early days. What we believe here at the well is that the gospel of Christ is the gospel that is found in Scripture. And that this gospel is the story of Scripture with the cross at the very center of it all. So, what does that mean? Mark basically tells us here in verse 14 now, after John was arrested. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, and believe in this gospel. These two verses are packed in terms of what it means to believe the gospel. Here's my key idea. Sorry, long intro, okay? Don't worry, the sermon won't go that much longer. (laughs) But the key idea is establishing the kingdom of God is the main reason Jesus came. We are called to live radically in his kingdom, and we are called to live radically in it. And what I want to talk about is what is the kingdom of God, how does the kingdom of God tie with the story of Scripture, and then third draw the implications for us. Now, what does it mean to live in light of God's kingdom? What does it mean to live in light of God's kingdom? Okay, so that's a lot. And I'm going to try to accomplish this uh, within our time. Okay, so stay with me. Ask for the spirit. Open my heart and my mind. Number one, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? We oftentimes don't use this language. The kingdom of God. We talk about Jesus, we talk about faith, we talk about even church, but what is the kingdom of God? The fact that we have sometimes omitted this idea or this language of the kingdom of God is a great, great oversight because we really cannot understand the Bible, scripture, uh, and what we actually call the gospel without understanding the whole idea of God's kingdom. Imagine if I said, well, I, I know Mimi, but I don't really know her parents, I don't know her extended family, I don't know where, when she was born, uh, where she grew up, I don't know any of the broader context of her life. Can I rightly say that I know Mimi? Or imagine, you know, I go to, my teammate and I, we, we go to Africa, And we do this training with the pastors and evangelists and uh, disciple-making, all that good stuff, but we don't know the history of Rwanda very much. We don't really care to know their context, their culture, their customs, and all of those things. Can we rightly say that we care for these Rwandans, that we love them, right? Right? This is what it means to know the gospel in the context of God's kingdom. After Jesus begins his public ministry, it is very clear that he is here to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is actually the main message that Jesus is proclaiming. If you look at all his sermons... Uh, the main thing that he's trying to get across to everybody is this is what the kingdom of God is like. Mark right away tells us this is what he came to proclaim, and Jesus went throughout all the synagogues telling people the kingdom. So, what is it? If I were to give to you a very, very simple definition of, of the kingdom of God, it's simply this God reigns, it's the kingship of God. The kingship of God. This is simply what it is. God's reign through God's people in God's place. That is a simple way to just kind of put it. God's reign through God's people in God's place. This is the kingdom. The kingdom, any kingdom, automatically comes with it a king. And so you can't talk about a kingdom without talking about the king himself. It's all centered around the king. And this king is Jesus himself. So, how does the kingdom of God tie in with scripture? This is the second point. The second point is not going to be as short as the first one, by the way, so I'm bracing you. Okay. Now, all of scripture and all the promises of the kingdom are fulfilled in Christ. And Christ is a very embodiment of this kingdom. So uh, the story of Scripture ultimately is a story of a few very, very, these are the most important questions of life. Who is Jesus? Why did he come? Uh, why did he have to die on the cross? And what does it mean then to relate to Jesus? What I want to share with you is this, the kingdom of God in scripture from beginning to end, I'll share with you five chapters, five chapters. This is a real bird's eye view. First of all, Genesis one through two is what we might call the garden kingdom, the garden kingdom. So what is the garden kingdom? God creates the heavens and the earth. God creates this garden. God creates Adam and Eve. And God is the king who reigns. He's the creator. He's a king. uh, But the way that he reigns and uses his authority is he reigns with love. And all that he does is good. It's very good. And he blesses all of his creation. He creates Adam and Eve to enjoy his creation, to steward uh, his creation, and to extend his rule and reign throughout the world. And you can imagine this picture of God dwelling with his people, his his people dwelling with God, and the people are thriving. This is God's original intention for humanity, for this world. But we are introduced in Genesis chapter 3 to the rival kingdom. Instead of representing God's rule and reign over creation, Adam and Eve choose rather to submit to the rule of another. And this is the serpent. And they rebel against God's rule. Sin separates God from Adam and Eve, and then it disrupts their calling to to extend God's kingdom here on earth, to represent his glory. Now, you come to church, and you hear this language of sin all the time. And we talk about sin in a lot of different ways. But sometimes we don't maybe uh, clearly, completely define what is sin? What actually is it? Sin is simply this. It's a rejection of God. It's a rejection of God. But when you reject God as king, it always comes with a replacement of another God. You cannot simply reject something without replacing it with something else. The Bible speaks of rejecting God simply as, and replacing it with something else, simply as the word idolatry. That's the best word to describe, the essence of sin. Idolatry is anything that we look to in place of God for our identity, our security, our hope, and our satisfaction. That is idolatry. Sin is not simply doing bad things. Yes, bad things is sin. But it's also making good things into the ultimate things that replace God himself. Modern idols would be money, sex, romance, power, career, achievements, reputation. And these things ultimately serve what we call deep idols of comfort, security, approval, power. Those are the deep idols of the human heart what is sin it's a substitution it is the attempt to replace god as the true king with something else and that something else is my choice i get to choose my life and how i want to live my life it's my independence it's my life it's my choice so your choice then becomes the ultimate authority of your life rather than god your freedom is oftentimes defined as independence. Our culture exalts independence. We say independence is a good thing, but in the Bible, independence is akin to idolatry. Sin is substitution, and it brings the curse of sin. A man is spiritually and relationally alienated from God, creation themselves. The result, the Bible says, is guilt and shame, condemnation, moral stain, exile. Being far from god death and hostility to god and others and the world is brought under the influence of sin and the power of a sinful kingdom and that's opposed to god himself the devil is a pretender king who claims to rule but he rules with deception temptation and accusation instead of with love so that's really important to diagnose Uh, If we don't correctly diagnose what the actual problem is, then we don't know what the actual solution would be. And so this is where we get into the promised kingdom. The promised kingdom in scripture starts with Abraham. This is the first message I gave here at the well, Genesis 12. But uh, the promised kingdom goes from Genesis 12 to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Malachi. And in response to human rebellion, God promises the seed of a woman who crushed the serpent, this deceiver, and a king will come who will then reverse the curse, reconcile God and sinners, and fulfill God's original purpose and establish his kingdom over the earth. In the Old Testament, we see clearly that this redeemer king will not achieve this by force, by might, uh, military might, but he will achieve this through suffering, through humiliation, through service, and ultimately through a cross. God chooses Abraham as the one who will receive this promise to reverse the curse and bless all the families of the earth. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through his seed and will receive freedom from slavery of sin and then uh, be transferred into God's kingdom. But this will happen ultimately through a sacrificial lamb that will point to the ultimate redeeming king. And this is where we get into the third part. The third part is the cross-shaped kingdom. Or the fourth one is the cross-shaped kingdom. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So here in Mark chapter 1, we begin. Jesus has come. He begins his ministry by announcing that now, this kingdom that has been promised, this kingdom that was meant to be the original plan for the entire world, it is at hand. It is here. And it's being fulfilled in Jesus himself. How would Jesus show this? He's going to uh, cast out demons. He's going to restore sight to the blind. He's going to heal the sick. Uh, He's going to forgive sin. He's going to bring in all the outcasts and then show that he is the, the anointed messianic king. He is the king that the Old Testament scriptures are pointing to. His rule and reign, though, is again, is going to be marked by continual humility, sacrifice, service, all the way to the cross. And he continually predicts his death and his resurrection. Uh, He shows that this is, in fact, what his life is going to be marked by And then he tells all those who would follow him, by the way, this is what your life is going to be marked by as well, if you follow me. And so he calls us then to a life of self-denial, to put to death our old self, to take up our cross every single day in this world, and then to follow him. This is what he calls us towards. So Mark showing that Jesus is the king. He is God's anointed. He is the true king of the universe. But his throne is going to look like a cross. He's going to to rule, but with love and humility. This is how he rules. And so we talk about Jesus as our savior king. And finally we have the eternal kingdom, the last book of the Bible. And this book is a picture of multitudes of every nation, tribe, and tongue gathering together around uh, what we sung this morning, the Lamb of God that has been slain for us, for our sins. And through the blood of Jesus, then he gathers uh, a multitude from all over the world, Rwanda, Congo, uh, China, Uzbekistan, yeah, LA, all over, people he's gathering to worship him. Miroslav Wolf, a theologian, says the world to come is ruled by the one who on the cross took violence upon himself in order to conquer and embrace the enemy. This is the heart of God's reconciling love. We look forward to this kingdom. The renewing effects of this is very important because yes, there's forgiveness of sin and yes, there's reconciliation with God through Christ but what we are looking for too is a restoration of God's kingdom. A restoration of his kingdom back to his created order to glorify and worship him. This is what we are looking for. And so This eternal kingdom is a kingdom that's going to be marked by righteousness, peace, uh, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There's no more sickness, sin, or death. This material world will be renewed. Uh, Injustices, wrongs will be righted. This is something that we all long for. And if you look at whether it's Rwanda and uh, some of the deep injustices that are still being committed there, and even it's currently under a, a dictatorship rule, there's no true shalom. There is temporary peace, but there's no what we call the shalom, the true wholeness, the peace of God, or whether it's here in America in which we, our culture is deeply divided over so many things, we are all longing for this shalom. We're longing for this peace. Peace. We're longing for a world in which there is no injustice, in which there's just righteousness, and the government rules with righteousness. This is the gospel. The gospel is simply God reigns. And for those who would long to come to God, uh, for those who would long for his kingdom and his righteousness, God offers this kingdom to us as a free gift of his grace. But as we come into God's kingdom, this is what it involves. This is the last point. What does it mean to live in God's kingdom? What does it mean? Well, earlier we said this. What is sin? It's, if sin is self-autonomy, in other words, I define my life by my values, my identity, by my choice and my independence, if that's the essence of sin, to, in other words, enthrone yourself as your own savior, as your own Lord, then the essence of repentance, when Jesus calls us to repent and believe the gospel, what he's saying is you need to surrender. You need to surrender the rights to your own life. Salvation, repentance, means that you've surrendered now to Jesus as your true king. And your loyalty, your allegiance, now belongs completely to him. Your life no longer belongs to yourself. It's completely under his reign. It's saying, my life is now given Jesus to you. You take it and do with it what you will. My life came from you. Uh, You've redeemed my life. It's only right that my life is given to you. This is what salvation is it's obeying Jesus as your rightful Lord and Savior. So, verse 16 to 20, Mark is giving us a picture of kingdom life looks like. Mark says, Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So, proclamation of the gospel, and now here's the call. This is what it means to live in the kingdom. The example of Simon and Andrew, James and John, Jesus says, follow me, repent, follow me. In other words, Jesus has all the authority to call us to follow him wholeheartedly. This is what Mark is telling us. They, Jesus calls them to leave your vocation as fishermen, leave your sense of security. This is what you're putting your sense of, hope, and life into, well, I'm calling you to leave that, and even to leave their father and and friends. Now, the point of this here is very clear. Jesus' authority comes over everything in your life. Your work, your career, your family, your vocation extends to every part of your life. This is the point. Allegiance to Jesus must exceed allegiance to anything else in your life. But this makes sense. If Jesus is a true king, then it only makes sense that he's given our ultimate allegiance, right? We have to ask ourselves, examine our life and say, ask ourselves this one question. If this is the identity of Jesus, and my identity is to be his follower, Then the question to ask is, does Jesus have complete preeminence in this area of my life? What is an area of my life that I'm not actually surrendering to Jesus? So let me ask you three questions to see if Jesus has control. The obedience question. The obedience question is this. Am I willing to obey whatever God says in this area of my life? Am I willing to obey? If you say to yourself, "I only obey God only if I agree with it, only if it, you know, only if it, it kind of accords with my desires and my ideas," then Jesus is not really king over your life. Uh, you've not really submitted your life over to the, to the kingship of Jesus. The obedience question is a question of your allegiance. Even if it doesn't make complete sense, I want to obey Jesus, because I know that he is good, that he is the rightful king. The acceptance question is this, am I willing to accept and thank God for whatever happens in my life? When a deep disappointment comes into your life, when your hopes, your dreams aren't working out the way that you wanted or that you imagined, are you able to trust God? Are you able to thank God and not respond with anger, with you know, depression? You know, uh, Are you able to say, God, I don't understand everything, but I want to trust you. And I thank you that you're in control. The third question is Identity. The identity question is this. Is there anything in my life that is more important for my sense of worth and value than God himself? Uh, What defines your true sense of worth? Um, Is there anything besides God? Is there anything that you must have in order for you to be fulfilled? Is God's love and his grace and his pleasure of you not enough? This is the question of who you are, of your fundamental identity. And to come into Christ and his kingdom is to surrender and to say, well, God, I don't understand everything. And God, there are disappointments and there are pains. And these pains are real and they're painful. But God, I want to trust you. And I thank you that you are my sovereign king. What are the what ifs in your life? what are those what-ifs? Those what-ifs are the questions that we have to ask. What is then determining the course of my life? You've got to make a decision. As God speaks to you, uh, we believe that his spirit is very much alive. He's very much always actively speaking to us. And you must make a decision. Jesus, when he calls them, It says that at once they left, without delay, he called them, and they left. And when Jesus comes into your life, it is disruptive. It's very disruptive. And he comes in, and he will strike with lightning. And then your life takes a different course. It's no longer on this status quo journey. But he challenges you to make a decision. What are you going to do with Jesus? As you were confronted by the very kingship of Jesus himself, we all have our choices to make. But they didn't delay. It says that once they left. And so to enter into God's kingdom, what Mark is telling us is simply this. It is a decisive act of commitment. To say, this is Jesus, you are my king, and I accept this free gift of your grace. I believe in you, I trust you, and there's nothing I can do to earn it, nothing that I, it's not based on my efforts, it's based completely on the finished work of Jesus, what he's done on my behalf. And I, I receive it, and now Jesus, I commit my life to you, to following you as my king. This is the gospel. Uh, this, is a, this is the complete picture of the gospel that we see in scripture it's about the kingdom as the overall framework, that we are all in his kingdom. I want to invite you to respond. And just as Jesus calls people back then, he calls people today. And when he calls, we have to make a response. As his word goes out, as his spirit is speaking to you, you must then respond to God himself. Uh, I sincerely believe that as preachers we are simply the mouthpiece. God's word is the authority, and Jesus is the one who calls his people. And so when you hear this, when you hear these words, my question to you is, what is God speaking to you about? What is that part of your heart, your life, that you're withholding from surrender to Jesus? Have you given... Your life to jesus as king have you submitted to him what is what are the things maybe that you are going through right now where you jesus is calling you to trust him to follow him to be thankful to him these are the questions that god is maybe revealing to you and As we go into this part of our worship, uh, we invite you to respond in a number of ways. Through worship, Jesus, yes, my life is centered on you. Like I'm reminded that it's about you and your glory. Through repentance, through saying, Jesus, uh, I confess, and I want to give this part of my life to you right now. I want to submit to your rule, your loving rule. Uh, we also invite you to take uh, communion, to come up. And we have these elements on both sides of the table. And when we take this communion, we're reminded that ultimately Jesus purchased by his own blood our salvation. We're reminded that Jesus, he reigns, but the essence of his reign is love. He reached out to us, met us at our deepest points of pride, at our deepest points of self-autonomy and independence. And he said, and he purchased us by his grace to then belong to him. Uh, There's no one that we can trust more than Jesus. He is the rightful, but he is the best ruler. And anything else that you put your trust in besides Jesus will ultimately disappoint you will we'll, we'll take you down a bitter path. Only Jesus gives eternal life. Only he does this out of sheer love for you and I. This is the kind of king that we worship, one who would go to the cross for us when we were his enemies. We invite you to come and to worship the cross, the crown, Jesus as our Savior King, who came down to us. So, with that, uh, let's go before the Lord and invite the praise team to come up and lead us in this time. Lord, uh, we just come to you. We thank you, Jesus, for uh, you are the only King who would lay down his life completely for his enemies. Lord, we surrender. Uh, Lord, we want to surrender our own rights, our own lives, our claims to our own lives. We surrender to your kingship, to your lordship. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that your rule is marked with grace, humility, and love. And so, Lord, would you lead us, Lord, as your people? Uh, The shape of your kingdom is a cross. And as your followers, Lord, we... Uh, want to live lives that are crucified, crucified to our old selves and made alive and anew in your kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was shed for us to make this possible, to make this happen. Lord, you reign. We worship you. We give ourselves to you now. So, Lord, take rulership, take reign. We ask this for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.